We are returning to our uh, spiritual fitness series. Um, Spiritual fitness, if you remember, we are marching through different disciplines or different exercises that we can incorporate into our spiritual life to shape us uh, into the image of God. Gracious things that God has given us for our good and for his glory. Well, we've talked about uh, Bible reading or Bible intake and prayer. But tonight I want to look at two disciplines that typically we look at in terms of us to God or us doing something, but in fact God is at work in and through these to shape us. And so that is our attention tonight will be on worship and evangelism. Worship and evangelism. So let's jump right in. Uh, first, looking at worship. Worship. When it comes to the disciplines, we can place them in different categories, and one of the ways to organize them is between individual and corporate. Corporate disciplines are those that relate to what we do with one another, and individual disciplines are the things that we do ourselves. Some mix both corporate and individual elements together. And we will see that in worship. In worship. Worship can be both individual and things that we do and also has a corporate dimension. And for us to be able to be aware of both of these things will be beneficial for us. Well, first let's define worship. Define worship. To worship God is to show him to be worthy of all our honor and praise. God is a God who is worthy of all our praise, all our affection. And we, when we worship him, we are making this known. It must not stem from mental pictures of what we think God is like, but for who he truly is. Meanwhile, this, if I praise and honor my wife, I just love her, her long black hair and her brown eyes. For those of you who know my wife, you're saying, that doesn't work. You can honor her for those things, but that doesn't line up with reality. And in order for us to worship God rightly is to know who he is. And we know who he is through the word that he's given us. And so first, we look at this idea of this definition of worship is through the Bible that we come to understand who God is and what he's like. Scripture needs to be the driving force behind our worship. And with this in mind, I think uh, Donald Whitney's definition of worship is helpful. He says this, Worship is, to be God, is the God-centered focus and response of the inner man. It is being preoccupied with God. The God-centered focus and response of the inner man. It is being preoccupied with God. Responding to what? To who God is. To who God is. Who he's revealed himself to be, not simply who we wish he would be. And he reveals himself through his word. And that's why we started the disciplines with Bible intake and prayer, the foundational elements for our Christian life. 
But when we look at the idea of worship, often we think of it again in terms of us to God. Instead of thinking of it as a means of grace, something that God is doing to us through worship. How he's shaping us. And so we can think of worship as a means of grace. As a means of grace. It might be weird for us to think of that in that term. But remember, means of grace is something that God does for us through something. We began the series, we talked about like a a water canal bringing living water and us or us getting in the way of God. Time and time again in Scripture, we see God reminding people that he is not a God who is served by human hands. Jesus, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. We do not add to God by giving Him worship. We can't add anything to Him. We cannot reduce worship to, you patted me on my back by saving me, now I'm going to do something for you. Worship's more than that. He deserves our praise. He deserves our thanksgiving. But we cannot add anything to God. When we worship, we simply draw light to shine a spotlight on who God already is. Help others to see perhaps the beauty by what we we are doing. But also, God changes us while we worship. The vertical part of worship goes both ways. Yes, we are praising God. We are singing praises to Him or we are hearing about who he is. But he's doing something to us as well. Think about the typical worship service. We are singing truth to God, but he at the same time teaches us truth about who he is. We are listening to a pastor preach, but God is speaking to us through one of his servants about what he is like. We're taking communion, and God is giving us a visual reminder of what has been done for us. We can't miss the beauty of this two-way vertical relationship. In fact, uh, this is why it's, it's so important for us to understand the God that we are worshiping. Uh, Psalm 115.8 talks about idol worshipers and it says, those who make them become like them, those who trust in them and, 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 and follow after them. Uh, Greg Beale has, has a book kind of on that idea called we become what we worship. Whatever we worship, what we're longing for, what has the highest desire in our heart, what we're singing praises to, that starts to shape who we are and change us. We become like what we worship. And God, through His grace, even as we worship Him, is feeding us spiritually. 
is shaping us, is transforming us into the image of Jesus. We're not doing this simply alone. We are worshiping together. The early church gathered together for worship. There are certain times they set aside for the task. In the book of Revelation, we see them mention uh, meeting together on the first day of the week. In Acts 20, verse 7, it says that this was the day that they were gathered, breaking bread, and Paul was teaching. So just to <clears throat> Acts 27, on the first day of the week when they were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. I promise I will not preach until midnight. But they gathered together. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. When you gather to worship, take an offering. Not neglecting to meet together in Hebrews as the habit is some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. They made time for regular worship. being reminded not to neglect being together. It's important for Christians to gather together. It's important for us to do life together. To worship together. And God does something special when we are together. I love Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. In worship, there is not only a two-way vertical relationship, but there's a two-way horizontal relationship. So we are singing praises to God, and at the same time, God is teaching us through the truth that's sung. We are hearing the Word of God and sitting under the Word of God. And God is shaping us and changing us into the image of Jesus by the truth that's spoken. Hopefully, reminding and pressing into our hearts a better sermon than the one that was preached by God's grace. But we also, as we gather to worship together, are teaching and challenging one another. tell you how encouraged I am in a youth group uh, to hear uh, students singing praises to God. That's just encouraging. It's challenging to hear them and the truth that they're singing and the impact that it has on them. It's convicting for us to worship alongside one another singing praises. We're singing church. If the sound system doesn't work anymore, you hear somebody next to you singing. Even when it's working, you hear each other singing. I love that. That we're building one another up, that we're speaking truth into one another's life as we sing praises to God. 
As we actively sit under the Word of God and listen with a desire to grow, we are encouraging one another. How often do we come into church thinking with a mindset of my worship, how I worship this morning may impact those around me. I'm not saying fake it. I'm not saying pretend. But praying, longing for God to change our hearts, to give us a desire to worship Him. Knowing that He might just use that in the life of somebody else around us. We're not individuals sitting in pews. We're the body of Christ. And God uses that to nourish us and change us. We have a multi-dimensional faith. Our worship impacts others. I say this to students sometimes that uh, they're zeal, their passion for the Lord and singing praises on a Sunday morning can impact those around them and challenge those around them. Not only is there a corporate element to worship, but there's also an individual element. There's an all of life element. Not just when we gather together, but all of life. There's two different ways that we can think about private worship. They're encountering the Lord privately when we spend time with Him and living under the Lordship of Christ in all of life. Encountering the Lord privately when we spend time with Him and living under the Lordship of Christ in all of life. The private time with the Lord. Not only do we worship God together, we come here on a Sunday and worship Him, we, we do Bible studies together but we should be doing that privately as well. Whenever we think about God and respond to Him in praise, either informally or, or formally, a set-aside time with the Lord or just going throughout life, it will take place when we see a sunset and praise God for His creation or a private Bible study and God's Word. In fact, the comparison has been made that the local church gathering together is like a live concert. And us spending time uh, together alone with God and, and studying our Bibles is, is, is like listening to music. Uh, I guess it's not through a Walkman or uh, through our phone. Uh, in our car, uh, whatever you have, have you, is listening to our music so that when we gather together, we can worship that much more fully. I think typically in our culture, we kind of reverse that. Together worship helps me to worship individually. Instead of seeing us stirring our heart to God, being uh, approaching God as leading to the live concert of a Sunday morning with God's people. The brothers and sisters of Christ, He's given us. And that's the more firm reality. Are we spending time with the Lord? Are we worshiping Him privately? 
We talked at the beginning of the, uh, of the year about developing a Bible reading plan and spending time with God in His Word. I'm not going to ask how many are, are still uh, to date with that, but are we taking time? Are we setting time aside? Next, worshiping God as living with Christ as Lord. Living under the Lordship of Christ. Have you ever thought about your work or home as a place of worship? If you're a Christian, you can worship God in the everyday. And if those places can be a place of worship, what does that look like? Well, first, it looks like acknowledging Christ as King. Are you trusting God with your work? Do you view your mental and physical abilities as a gift from God that should be sharpened to be effective in loving others? Do you recognize that God is in control over who your boss is and who's in your life? And you're called to love them both as a person, both as an image bearer of God and as someone who has been redeemed by God's grace called to love others. Lastly, when we look at this idea of worship, we think of spirit and truth. Worshiping God with our head, learning, growing, knowing who God is, with our heart being captured by that truth. Being captured by that truth. having an encounter with the living God through his word. Worship is more than simply us singing to God. It's all of life, both personally and as we gather together. And God uses it to change us, to shape us into his image. Next, we look at the idea of evangelism. Evangelism, and how does evangelism, how does us sharing the gospel with other people, how does God use that in our lives to change us? I think he does that by way of several reminders. Several reminders. First, we know that we're called to evangelize. We're called to share the good news. Think about Acts uh, 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We're called to share the good news, to be witnesses of, of Christ. This is his, his commissioning before he ascends. And as we do that, he changes us from the inside out, and he does this through reminders, first, of his power to save. His power to save. If we're not careful, we can reduce God's glorious saving work to almost nothing. We can entertain the thought that we might have contributed something to our salvation, even if we never verbally admit it. There's a difference between confession of our mouth and confession of our heart. Sometimes we know what to say verbally. We know what to say when other people talk to us and when we talk to them. But we live out a different reality. 
We can say that we know that we're only saved by grace, but then look down on others who sin differently than us. As we go and share the good news with others, we are reminded that salvation is all by God's grace. In fact, when we tell others about Jesus, we depend on this truth. We're aware that we can't convince someone to trust in Jesus by saying the right words, but that it takes God at work in their hearts. God's power to save humbles the self-righteous. It humbles the self-righteous. We can't share the gospel with someone else without being reminded ourselves that I needed that grace to save me. And I'm still dependent on God's grace. We can be spiritually lazy, we can be spiritually callous, but when we open our mouth and start sharing the good news with with somebody that has no clue and no desire to trust God, we depend fully on Him. And God reminds us, that was you. And that is you, but by my grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Whereas workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Or think about 1 Corinthians 3. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed. And as the Lord assigned to each, I planted Apollos water, water. Listen to this. But God gave growth. We're so dependent on God as we reach out to others and share the good news of Jesus. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. It's God who does it. It's God who does the work. So it humbles the self-righteous. But also... Also, it brings joy when witnessed. It brings joy when witnessed. It is one thing to tell someone about Jesus. It wasn't one thing for somebody to intellectually know the gospel. It's another thing to see someone transformed by God's grace. To experience what that means. Um, I, I think of when uh, Ashley and I were dating, and I had um, a car, it was a, a turbo uh, car, and, and she would bust on me sometimes for speeding. Um, and uh, she, uh, she said, well, you can't go above the speed limit. It's true. Um, but I said, it's really easy to do that. It's a fast car. And so I had her uh, drive, um, and I said, just go ahead and put your, your foot down on the gas pedal. Uh, and she did. And, and I said, uh, 
look at the speedometer. And she's doing like 95. And she's like, oh my. That was easy. And he said, no, I told you. Right? It's one thing to, to know it, right? It's one thing to say, okay, I, I understand. It's another thing to kind of experience that, just to see the look on her face, but she kind of recognizes just what that means. Silly example that does not compare to when someone understands they're a sinner and in need of God's grace. Where can I go? Where do I turn? I need Jesus. What joy does that bring? That gracious, wonderful reminder of God, of his power to save us. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. We get to experience that. God calls us to that task. Next, evangelism reminds us of God's love for us. Evangelist reminds us of God's love for us. The Father sent Christ. The Father sent Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God, the Father, so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The Father sent Christ out of his love for us. And not only that, but the Son willingly laid down his life. The Son willingly laid down his life. So not only is this the love of the Father in sending the Son, but this is the Son in the, the love of the Son, the love of Jesus for us in laying down his life. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That someone lay down his life for his friends. The son laid down his life. Not only does the love of God save us, but we're reminded of his love to keep us and to keep all who belong to him. As Paul says in Romans, anything nor anything will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. As we evangelize, we're reminded of the love of God to save. To save sinners, to keep sinners. How easy it is for us in our everyday Christian life to go through life forgetting these amazing truths or pushing them the back burner, but as we're telling others of the love of God for them, God reminds us. God presses it into our heart. Evangelism also reminds us of our purpose. Reminds us of our purpose. Our purpose to desire many to glorify God. 
many to glorify God. It's a terrifying task. It's a difficult task. It's a wonderful task that we're called to. That we get to be ambassadors for Christ, sharing the good news of others and seeing them transformed into enemies of God, to worshipers of God. He calls us to this because they need somebody. How can they call on him in who they've not believed, Romans 10? And how are they to believe in him who they've never heard? And how are they here without someone preaching? They need the good news brought. And we get to participate in that. It also causes us to take care not to undermine the message. We do not live the gospel. Jesus lived the gospel. Instead, we tell the others the good news of the gospel. But we live in light of the gospel. We live knowing that it's true. When we are reminded of our purpose to tell others about Jesus, we also begin to recognize by God's grace how we are living. How we are living. Um, Ashley's uh, watching uh, a, a show. Uh, we, we used to watch this show when we were in um, in uh, Pennsylvania and and with friends and things like that. Now it, it just re-aired, and so she's uh, getting back into it again. Um, it's uh, the show uh, The Biggest Loser. Uh, the Biggest Loser, and there's uh, people in there that are, they're, they're losing weight, and, and one of the, the uh, People in the show is, uh, she's a nurse or a doctor, and she, she's like, I'm trying to tell people about being healthy and healthy living and, and what they should do, and, and it's hard to do that. It's hard to do that because I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm not following my own advice. Uh, when we're telling other people the good news about Jesus Christ, the fact that uh, we are sinners, and that because of that sin, it required uh, a perfect life and a perfect sacrifice in our place. That God did not spare his own son, but gave him up so that we might be forgiven. When we tell other people that, that means we think sin is a big deal. That's going to impact the way that we live. How many of us do not open our mouth, do not share the good news of Jesus because we know, well, that will mean I'm identifying with Christ. That will mean, am I living in light of this message? As we share the good news with others, God uses that to challenge us and to challenge our complacency. Galatians 2.14, when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, 
If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Sharing the good news with others causes us to look at our own life. To look at how we're living. Are we undermining the very message that we're giving by the way that we're living? God takes sin seriously. Sin requires sacrifice. But I'm not living as if I'm forgiven. I'm not living as if sin is a big deal. God uses our witness to radically transform us. Too often we think of worship and we think of evangelism merely in terms of us to God or us to others. And that's true. We should be worshiping God for who he is. He's worthy of our worship. We should be spreading the good news, wanting others to trust in Jesus. But what we need to understand as well is when we think of it in this, this angle or this, this, this frame of reference of looking at it in terms of spiritual fitness, we can see God in his grace is using it to transform us into the image of Jesus, to change us, to become more and more like him. This week, let's live in light of this glorious truth. Let's worship God in all of life and look for opportunities to share his good news. Knowing not only is it good and we're following and being obedient to God, but also God is using that to shape us. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I thank you. God, I thank you for your wonderful truth in your scripture. God, that you use these practices in our life. That even as we're doing them to serve you, to, to live for you, God, you don't need us to serve you. You actually use those things to change us. And God, we thank you for that. God, we're in so desperate need of your grace. I pray that you work in and through our lives this week. Change us from the inside out. Help us to reflect your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.